Hi, I'm Stacy. I love talking about how to know and live out God's callings in our lives, preferably cozied up with steaming beverages in comfy armchairs. You can head to my website, stacysummero.com for more on discernment. That's S-T-A-C-E-Y-S-U-M-E-R-E-A-U.com. Hello! What's happening? How's Easter? How are you? I am going to Georgia tomorrow. They say the devil went down to Georgia, but he's not going to be there after this weekend, you guys, because I'm going to go drive him out, okay? Okay? I'm going to go speak for a girls' retreat for the Diocese of Savannah, and I'm so excited. I'm so excited. I love traveling to speak, and I just remember being a teenager, and I remember being anxious and like not really knowing what I was doing with my life, and um, at the same time having all these really big dreams and wanting to do something great. So I just can't wait to speak to these girls, and I hope that what I have to say to them about self-image and about discernment really touches their hearts and inspires them to give their lives over to God. which is what this podcast is all about. So let's get to it. Guys, I have a holy couple crush on Dan and Amber DeMatte. Can I say that? Is that a thing that we can say in polite company? I don't know, but I do. They wrote this book called Three Secrets to Holiness and Marriage, which I highly recommend for you and your spouse. Dan and Amber did something that nobody else has ever done before. They really unpack in this book how to live out poverty, chastity, and obedience in your marriage. Now, it doesn't sound like fun, right? Like, that's the reason that most people run away from religious life because they're like, I don't want to be. I don't want to not have love in my life and I don't want to be poor and I don't want to be obedient. But you know, what's really cool is that Dan and Amber do such a great, great job of explaining how these things actually give you an incredibly happy marriage. So they've got a lot of resources for you. Um, Basically, poverty, chastity, and obedience are the imitation of Christ. They are the way to holiness and that is why we are called to it. So I'm super Super, super, super excited to bring you this episode, which is going to help you discern a vision for your marriage. As always, after the episode, stick around because I'm going to do a little singing, of course. Um, I'm going to continue on with this theme of like doing traditional church music because I love it so much. So stick around for that at the very end. Um, And before we get to the episode, I also want to let you know that the SALT program, Serving the Aged Lovingly Today, which is the mission program that I coordinate alongside the Carmelite Sisters for the Aged and Infirm is still accepting applications. So if you're a young woman ages 18 through 40, I highly encourage you to discern joining this program. It's only a week of your life, and I guarantee that the benefits you're going to reap from this week of your life are going to far outweigh any time that you give. We basically serve the elderly in nursing homes that are sponsored by the Carmelite Sisters. So I have built this program from the ground up. I completely believe in its ability to change hearts and minds. It has led many young women to being able to find their vocation, find their calling, and just become a better person, which is what we all want, right? So listen on and let's get to the episode. Amber and Dan, it's such a pleasure to have you here with me on Called and Caffeinated. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Yes. Oh my gosh. I have been waiting for this since we met in Tampa and been reading your book, which I loved. It made me cry. (laughs) It made me cry as I was reading through it again because it's just so beautiful and it's so challenging. And I think there's something 
um, incredible about a book that doesn't stoop to the level of what the culture is saying, but instead holds us to really high standards that like when you, when that truth is right in front of you, it just has a way of, of making you want to aspire to it. So thank you for writing that book. No problem. Thank you. It's a joy. Yeah. 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 Are you guys, um, do you happen to be drinking any caffeinated beverages since that's part of the name of this? Wish we were. You I know. am. I'm drinking hot water right now. I have an addiction oh. to hot water. You drink yeah. hot water? Wait, tell mm-hmm. me more. Um, well, I drink a lot of coffee, and uh, after after a few like you know mugs full of coffee, uh, it's time to get off the caffeine and switch <laughs> over to the hot water. But I, I have this thing where I need to hold a coffee mug all day long because it's, it's my comfort, especially oh, me too. People, I need to hold something so. So instead of drinking coffee all day long, uh, about noontime, I switch over to hot water. Hot water. I'm going to have to try that because I also have that psychological addiction. Um, (laughs) And in fact, anytime my kids see a mug, they go, mama. (laughs) (laughs) Because they know, (laughs) they know what mama does. That's, that's really interesting. Does it taste weird in your mouth though? I mean, I guess I can just try it after this, but I'm just so hot water is glorious. Wow. I will do that. And it hydrates you. It's just like drinking regular water. Yes. Mm -hmm. Brilliant. And it's like very cost effective. (laughs) (laughs) That's that's why we do it. (laughs) Zero calories. Raising kids, ministry budget. (laughs) On a crust of bread, hot water lifestyle. (laughs) We would would drink coffee, but instead we just drink water and try to make it look a little dirty. Mm. Throw a little dirt in there. Yeah. Crossing that line. (laughs) Yeah. People are definitely going to be running to buy your book after this. (laughs) All in our chapter on poverty. (laughs) (laughs) No, we're going to get into that. And I'm so excited because it's, oh man, it's gold. But um, for now, what calls have you received from God in your life so far? And what have those calls looked and felt like? Ooh. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Ooh. Big question. Um, well, I'll go first. I mean, yeah. of course, our first and primary call in our life is holiness. And mm-hmm. the greatest um, the greatest call was when, in my life, was when the Lord um, transformed my heart and called me to himself and asked me, at one of my conversion moments, I heard the Lord say in the, the depths of my heart, damn, my love for you cost me my life. What does your love for me ever cost you? And that was a very simple question that um, had a very simple answer. If his love for me cost him everything, the only rational answer is that my love for him must also cost me everything. And so, so I think the call to holiness was definitely the first call um, on my heart was, you know, yes, Lord, I want to give you everything. And mm-hmm. uh, at 18 years old, I didn't know what that looked like, but I knew that whatever he said I would do. And I ran after it. Everything, everything he said, everything he asked, I ran after. And um, whether that meant, discerning priesthood, discerning ministry, discerning anything. Um, I was all about it. And I didn't really care about my will. A lot of times I would say in prayer, like, oh man, if only I could give you completely my will and just like let you run my life, that would be perfect. But uh, yeah. it doesn't really work that way. You have to cooperate with him. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. and so uh, the That's discernment, right? Exactly. Mm-hmm. Exactly. But, but yeah, I mean that for sure, that was the deepest one. And then mm. of course, Amber and I discerned, um, whether or not we are called to religious life or uh, married life. And for me, there's a huge call for um, a hunger to give the Lord everything. And so naturally as a young man, you think 
in order to give him everything. I, if I'm not a priest, I'm not effectively being as holy as I can be. And so mm. I, I had that struggle of balancing the Lord. Okay. I want to give you everything. How, how do you want me to do that? And, um, pursuing him and ultimately discovering an, an adoration one night, the Lord just really telling me, Hey, um, I want you to seek me out, um, through married life. And so that mm. call to marriage and, um, and really the call, there was a call to the cross where not that Amber's so hard to marry. For my vocational discernment, I was, it was wedded to the cross, the mystery of yeah. like Jesus lays his life down. And mm-hmm. for me, honestly, it would have been very, very easy for me to be uh, single. And I probably would have used singleness, um, as a form of selfishness. Even if I were a priest, I would have just um, been a workaholic and been uh, like work centric as opposed to people centric. And I knew that in order to actually effectively lay my life down for others, I had to slow myself down and sacrifice for people as opposed to the world, you know, and, and that challenge to really give myself to the one or the few in a family um, was more of a self-sacrifice than um, celibacy would have been. Mm-hmm. Whoa, so much good stuff in there. Do you know the last thing you said about um, slowing down and being people-centric? Mm-hmm. I so relate to that because I used to be go, 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 independent, you know, Miss Independent, couldn't pin me down. And then I've realized that since I had my children, like a huge part of my vocation is just playing with them. And like not taking care of all of the practical things. It's a very like Martha versus Mary thing where I want to be a workaholic and yet I'm called to just slow down and also to listen to my husband and just ask him like, like take the time to just slow down and look in his eyes and be like, how are you doing? Is there anything you want to talk about? And I, um, I think that's one of those like hidden things, which is not, it's not really a cross, but it is a cross. If your will is oriented towards go, 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 get it done. It's like a more subtle call to, um, to unity for your family and for your marriage. I love that you brought that up because I think, um, before we find our vocation, we really have a lot of time to do what we want. Mm -hmm. I know this from my experience. And then it's like, once you're well, even as a young single person, it's so important just like to get off your phone and be present to people around you when there's nothing urgently saying, get off your phone and be with me because people aren't going to beg, but my children are. <laughs> yeah. So much good stuff in there. Wowza. How about you, Amber? What calls have you received from God? Oh gosh, so many. Um, let's mm-hmm. see. I don't know where to narrow in here. Um, I'm like still like in all of everything Dan said. Um, yeah. So how about motherhood uh, yeah. or marriage? Start with marriage. Yeah. <laughs> they go hand in hand, don't they? Um, I love how you brought up this idea of playing. I think in motherhood, the calls of the dishes in the sink and the calls of getting all their paperwork in order for school and, yeah. you know, keeping up with A, B, C, D. I think those calls feel so much louder then the true call of motherhood, which is to be, as you said, mm-hmm. present mm-hmm. and full of joy, right? And full of love and full of life. The Father has placed such an immediate call on our lives for living an abundant life, right? He said, I came so that you would have life 
and have it to the full. He didn't say, I came so that you could be stressed to the max. I came so that you could be stretched totally thin. He came so that we could have life and we could have it to the full. And when we do stop and we allow our children to look in our eyes and to touch our face and they say, I want you to play with me. Like never once have my kids said, like, I really want you to do the dishes. And don't get me wrong. Like we need to teach our children discipline and order and routine and all those good things that are going to carry us through life and, and make us um, disciplined disciples. But the heart of everything, as you mentioned, Martha and Mary, the heart of it all, the foundation of it all is love and the peace and the joy that are going to flow out of our hearts come from those moments where we seep ourselves in that love. When we have that foundation, the dishes are going to get done. The laundry is going to get put away, but it's going to be done in a way where we are moving peacefully through our lives instead of like slamming those pots and pans down. Like, right, I got to cook another meal for who, for why? Okay, mm-hmm. like, I need to know for who and I need to know for why or else mm-hmm. a meal is just a meal. And what's the point of that, right? Right. I think yeah. every parent's jaw just hit the floor listening to that. That was so yeah, beautiful. like it's hot, hot. oh my gosh you're amazing so uh anything else you want to share about your calls um marriage oh my gosh wait we have to acknowledge the fact that we were all on a reality tv show about discernment but not the same one different ones (laughs) can i just go ahead yeah god or the girl we like to um, switch our title to god through the girl Um, or else it seems like i beat god to the punch you know and really i truly am on team god you know (laughs) (laughs) for like two decades now like we are good me and god are on the same team and that team is getting down to holiness and to heaven but yeah, God of the Girl was an awesome experience for us. Yeah. So can I just ask you the most common questions that people ask me about my reality show? Yeah. Sure. Okay, cool. This will be fun for me. So was it a real discernment experience being on camera? <laughs> um, so yes. So for listeners, uh, my my reality TV show was a lot like Stacy's. It was just the boy version. So mm-hmm. um, it was about guys discerning the priesthood of the married life. And um, no, it wasn't a real discernment process for me. It was a, um, it, it was extremely busy. And so you were followed for like five, uh, you were followed for five weeks by um, five people every second of the day. And, and so it was really hard for me to have quiet time and prayer time. And, uh, but the a part of it was of the show. We, um, I did a cross pilgrimage where I carried a, uh, a cross for 22 miles. And, mm-hmm. and that particular component was extremely reflective and powerful for my discernment. Um, but it was actually after the show ended and everyone left and I got quiet time in front of the blessed sacrament again. Um, my heart was just so hungry for more of Jesus. So that's really when the Lord starts speaking the most. Mm. Had you discerned before the TV show or was it, and this is actually a question people ask me a lot too. Had you discerned beforehand or was that sort of, um, was it like discern reality show go all at the same time? Yeah, no, I'd been discerning for about uh, probably two years when we did the reality show. So I started discerning Mm -hmm. when I was about 18 and the show was filmed when I was 21. Okay. Gotcha. Yeah. I got the sense about you, you know, I, uh, you get a sense on TV, like just how people talk of, you know, I, I could tell you had like a, a, a very deep spiritual life beforehand. And this is something a bit on your mind for a while. Um, yeah. So uh, another question that people ask me a lot is um, 
who styled your hair for the TV show? Yeah. <laughs> um, so Dan's hair was disgusting. <laughs> if you really want to see some really good hair, just just YouTube God or the girl. Oh I had, my gosh, it was like shoulder length. Yeah, I had like and the crunchy curls of the yeah, early two thousands that every girl wanted the crunchy curl. Yeah, yes. Dan had that I crunchy had that. ramen noodle. Mm, I was really jealous. Was nice and greasy. Oh my. God. <laughs> um, so, I, you know, I was definitely my own personal hairstylist, and I, I believe I was um, pretty effective at that. <laughs> so if you watch my show, we actually had some pretty incredible hairstyles, and um, people would ask us who styled our hair. And the answer was Claire, who was one of the one of the young women discerning, because <laughs> what we would do is at the convent, we would have holy hour and mass and then breakfast with the sisters. And then we would do our hair. She would do our hair for us. And we would all just like talk and bond. And that was kind of how we started our day. But people thought that they were like professional hairstyles coming in. So that was, so. but I thought that that question actually worked really well. Yeah, no, too. no, me and the other guys <laughs> on the show, we did each other's hair as well. It, it was really bonding. Uh, There's nothing better than doing that <laughs> yeah. oh yeah I can, I can imagine Steve twirling your curl that's weird exactly. okay we're gonna move away from that um next question where are they now did anybody actually enter the seminary um you know no no one did well, there was wasn't it the guy who was cut yeah I think the guy so there was five of us originally Oh. And they realized they didn't have enough time to tell the story, um, five stories fully. So unfortunately, one of the guys got cut. Yeah. And wow. uh, and I, I think he entered the seminary, but I actually don't have not stayed in touch with him. So your your experience was very different than our experience in that yeah. um, yours was a communal experience with the girls. Mm -hmm. For us guys, we, were, we weren't we were really together. Mm -hmm. It was our separate lives. And we, we met each mm -hmm. other for a little bit, but it wasn't like an experience that we had together. Oh, interesting. Yeah, that's so funny. One of the young ladies on my show ended up being one of my bridesmaids because we went through Aww. this. Yeah, we just went through this. This um, It was like going through a crucible together. No, we were just followed constantly. It was pretty crazy. Wow. Yeah, that does sound really tough. Yeah. They actually, one one morning I woke up. So in, in college, I slept on the floor and I, I had a sleeping bag on the floor and they had keys to my house. So one morning it's like six o'clock, my alarm goes off and I wake up and the cameraman is straddling my body with the camera no. in my face. And so you can imagine your alarm clock goes off and you're just like, ah! This is like perfect. And I don't know why they thought that was a good idea, but... Uh, so Terrible. literally from the moment I woke up, <laughs> that would that probably make a great internet meme somewhere. Yeah. Like Dan with the curls flying everywhere. Like, ah! oh my gosh, that sounds, that sounds really terrible. I wouldn't, I would not like that at all, but I guess you had to give them permission to do that. Right. Um, I don't think I knew he was going to be so intimate. Uh, <laughs> so maybe they have a lawsuit coming. Yeah. <laughs> Man, that's crazy. All right, cool. I would love to get to um, talking about your book now. Awesome. I have so many questions. Um, so you've kind of touched on this, um, Amber and Dan, uh, well, I, especially uh, Dan, um, about the this concept of kissing your cross as yeah. you um, as you kiss each other in marriage for the first time. So there, you tell the story of a town in Croatia. I cannot pronounce the name. Um, mm -hmm. And there is a 0% divorce rate in this town, and they have a special tradition there of kissing their cross. So can you just describe for me how viewing your marriage as a cross, even though that's like a really weird, you know, most people think like that is super weird, but why does that actually lead to a happy and healthy marriage? 
You know, Stacy, I feel like there's such an an unhealthy um, romantic image place before us of what marriage is going to be. Mm-hmm. Um, I think just like as little girls and we're watching our fairy tales, which like are so cute and I have my daughters watching them. Like, mm-hmm. don't get me wrong. Mm-hmm. But there's this idea of this happily ever after. And when you change your mindset to realize that marriage is a journey towards heaven and that it's not a destination at this happily ever after, um, mm-hmm. I, I, think, I mean, I don't want to, I'm not placing judgment over divorces as a whole, but I think that that has a big chunk of the problem, right? That we expect our spouse to be able to give us this happily ever after. And the reality is that we're actually meant to come together, to carry our cross together and to, um, to be willing and able each day to make the sacrifices we need to do. We need to make to give love to the other instead of sucking love and joy from the other. So when we're receiving what we need from the father, we're able to pour out into our spouse, pour out into our children. When we go in with this sucking mentality, we're going to get ourselves into some trouble, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah the, t- the tradition of uh, kissing your cross in, in Croatia, it's so beautiful because when the, um, you know, when the couple gets engaged, they go to their priest and the first thing he does is congratulate them for finding their lifelong cross and he gives them a crucifix and they, Mm. when they prepare for marriage, they prepare with that crucifix in mind. And then on their wedding day, they hold it in their hands. And when, Mm. um, and and they say their vows actually with the, Mm. while holding the cross. And so instead of holding each other's hands, they, they, their hands are interlocked on the the crucifix Mm. and they kiss the cross. And, and then they, this idea that that cross is hung in a prominent place. And we've started a tradition in our family where we like to um, kiss the cross before bed. And so the kids will kiss the cross and, and we always pray a prayer, Jesus, I love you. Jesus, teach me how to love because Mm. ultimately love is um, laying one's life down for the other. And Mm. so it's that image of like learning that love is about self-sacrifice. Love is about um, giving, not taking. Yeah. One of my mm. my favorite things is in college, I had a professor on marriage and he, he, um, he, he said two things that really stuck with me. He always said, love is about giving, not taking. And he always said, you marry a, a sinner to make them a saint. And mm. I think, you know, we, if we, if we go into a marriage understanding that like, Hey, um, I'm a sinner and my spouse is marrying me though I am weak and, and to help make me better. And I'm marrying her though. She is weak to help make her better. Um, you, you go in with, with a, with a self-sacrificial mindset that I'm going to help make this person better. And you go in with a, a humility of like, man, like, in the same way that Jesus loves me, though I am so like unworthy of that love, so too is my spouse mm-hmm. going to love me, uh, though I am so unworthy of that love. Mm-hmm. And then I'm called to love my spouse, who's unworthy. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. yeah my, hu- my husband did that. We we um, held a cross during our our crucifix yeah. during our wedding vows, and we do have it hung up here. And our kids point to it all the time, and they say, "Jesus." yeah and it's beautiful it really does lead to a huge mind mind shift wait mindset shift that's what i'm trying to say yeah yeah Yeah. Yeah. have that image that this is love i think too many christians want to take jesus off the cross right like we only want to see jesus resurrected Mm -hmm. but there is no resurrection without the cross right so we need to keep that image in the forefront of our minds that love requires suffering 
Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. And um, with that long vision, you know, lo- the long view of life and heaven, um, you wrote in your book that thinking of yourself as a future saint kind mm-hmm. of might feel like prideful or laughable, but it's super important. In fact, I said aloud to myself, I said, Saint Stacy Summerow. And I was like laughing so hard. I was like, that sounds weird. But then I immediately realized that it's super important. <laughs> so how does, how does that tie into your mission in this life? Mm. One of the things that I love to do in prayer, because I'm, uh, so St. Therese of Lisieux, she always wanted mm. to be a great saint, you know, and I love how she's like known for her littleness, but she was mm. actually one of the biggest, like had one of the biggest uh, desire, hunger, hungry hearts ever, you know, and yes. it's uh, um, this idea that I want to be great, not for my own glory, but for God's glory. And so in my own prayer, like I, I've been praying a lot lately that I don't want to just be St. Dan. I want to be St. Dan and companions. And like the, there's, there's saints who are known for having companions and it wasn't about just them. Like you, you can't hear about St. Isaac Yokes without hearing about the North American martyrs. Like yeah. I don't want to be known for my great life of holiness. I want to be known for my great life of holiness and for the great lives of the holiness of those around me mm-hmm. that we were we were a team who did this together and, and really for like Amber and I, and for the, those that we are in ministry with, it's that team mentality that we want to truly, um, we want to lay our lives down with one another, uh, for one another and for the Lord. And so that, um, what we do is just, uh, it leaves a mark on the world that resonates forever and ever. Mm-hmm. But that's easy with a name like Daniel, like Stacy and Amber. Right. In in a thousand years, there's going to be a lot of St. Jessica's and Amber. Yes. <laughs> you mark my words. We need more of this. But for right now, I'm like, why can my name just be like Elizabeth? Or like, <laughs> <laughs> I, know. <laughs> I know. Well, Stacy is actually a shorter form of Anastasia in Ooh. some cultures. So there was a phase in my childhood where I was like, you can call me Anastasia. And when they would say St. Anastasia in the math, I was like, oh, that's that's my name. So but is that your full name or are you just Stacy? Oh, I'm, I'm just Stacy. <laughs> I wish, I wish it was like, you know, when I was, when I was at that, that age where I would dress up as a Disney princess, <laughs> but that is a beautiful name. That was definitely on my list of baby names when I was little, along with Antonia. Mm. Ooh, that's pretty. Oh yeah. I had a long list of baby names when I was no, younger. You <laughs> In high school, as that's you, all I would do is write down baby names. As you and your friends did each other's hair. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Great baby name. <laughs> Cool. Let's talk about these three. They're called evangelical councils. Yes. Which I actually did not realize that that's what they were called. They are the rules of poverty, chastity, and obedience. Mm -hmm. Um, And they help you live under a rule of life. But really, it's only uh, religious um, monks and nuns who who live under this rule of life. Um, And I just love, I love, love, love that you say that the three secrets to holiness and marriage are poverty and chastity and obedience. So why are they not just for people in religious life, but, but also for us who are married or, or those who are even single? Yeah. Yeah. That's a great question. So our book is called three secrets to holiness and marriage. And 
those three secrets are poverty, chastity, and obedience. And really, I mean, the, the heart of the, the message comes from not our wisdom, but the wisdom of the church. And so in Vatican II, they spoke of the universal call to holiness. And, um, and you, the holiness, and in our book, we kind of unpack what is holiness. And holiness mm-hmm. is a complete transformation into the person of Christ Jesus. So as St. Paul says, it's no longer I who lives, but Christ who lives in me, that it's no longer the old, the old has passed away and the new has come. And, and, uh, and so this idea of holiness is I have been transformed into another Christ that I have mm. the heart of Christ, the mind of Christ, the, the words of Christ, the eyes of Christ, the ears of Christ, the hands and the feet of Jesus. And, um, that I become another Christ. And so, um, the tradition of the church is the way in which you become another Christ is by taking on Jesus's perfect virtues and, and his perfect virtues are poverty, chastity, and obedience. And I think sometimes this is confusing for people, especially when you're talking about married life. Um, In Vatican II, they said, you know, the universal call to holiness is found through these evangelical councils. And so, Mm -hmm. and they said each is called to live these according to their own state of life. Mm -hmm. So I'm called to live poverty, chastity, and obedience as a married man and Amber as a married woman mm-hmm. um, in order to help me become more like Jesus. Um, mm. But I do it not like a monk would do it. I do it like a married man yeah. should do it. Mm-hmm. And when you think about religious life, it's so easy to see immediately, okay, you take these vows of poverty, chastity, and obedience. Okay. I'm making a complete sacrifice of my life. And that's, and that's like the sacrifice is right there, right up front. But as you were talking about earlier, Amber, with this kind of Disneyland idea of, mm. of marriage, it seems like you're choosing an easier life when you choose marriage, when in fact, it requires that exact same sacrifice. It just might be more gradual. Um, well, it, I it'll, think it's it'll up on you. And you don't, I don't know because I've never been a religious sister, but some day, many days I'm going to be like, wow, like I wish I was just surrounded by religious sisters mm-hmm. in adoration right now, instead of like yep. scrubbing poopy butts. Right. Mm-hmm. Like, Right. Hey, don't, a, don't tell them about what you do with me. Sisters like pick me and smack me and yell in my face when I'm trying to like become clean. You yeah. Know? yeah. Oh I yeah, and then they good. slash you, and you're like, you yeah. just for your good. Yeah, I, I love when young single guys are like, "There's no way I could handle." Like being a priest, I'm like, you have no idea. (laughs) Idea, exactly. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Fatherhood is easy. (laughs) Yeah, no, it is not. It is not for the faint of heart. And I don't mean to scare anyone who's single away from parenthood because it is the most beautiful journey. And I've been amazed time and again how many times I have risen to the challenge out of necessity, but also like you know, like you do love your children and, and your spouse more than anyone else in the world. And so you are given the graces to rise to the challenge when it, when it comes, but it isn't easy. It's like, a, no. you're like, Oh, I didn't know it was going to be this hard. And even though I, you know, I went, I kissed the cross on my wedding day, you know, and I have that hung up and I, I, I thought I was really prepared for it, but nothing really prepares you for the reality of it. So I think this book is so great for like, really looking it in the face of like, okay, it's, it's sacrifice first. And the joy comes from that rather than, you know, kind of this, um, like you said, this, I Disney, this Disneyland idea of, of what marriage is supposed to be. Well, and the cool thing about the way we approach poverty, chastity, and obedience, they're not for their own sake, right? Like Mm. it's not obedience for the sake of being obedient. What we first do is we look at Jesus, the obedient, Mm. Jesus, the poor, 
and Jesus the chase. Stacy, this whole journey is about being more like Jesus, right? Mm-hmm. So to be a Christian means that Christ is alive in me. It doesn't mm-hmm. just mean that I believe in Jesus. It means that I am Jesus. It means that I carry him inside of me. So if I hope to gain that abundant life that he promises, that's going to happen by me putting Jesus on me walking in and through him through him with him in him right so i want to put on jesus and who was jesus jesus was poor jesus was chaste jesus was obedient so in our book we want to discover because nobody's really looked into this how is a married couple supposed to walk in these in these virtues of jesus how is a married couple called to be Jesus in the world. And there is so mm. much joy and there is so much life there. I mean, it's, mm. it is abundant and it is so full of, of joy. Yes. Let's talk about chastity first. So yeah. Uh, yeah, chastity and marriage. So chastity is not celibacy, but most people think that it is. So right. why do you, so you, you expand this definition of chastity way beyond, you know, your sex life. Um, and you talk about it being a gift in all situations, right down to our smallest interactions. So please expand on that for me. Yeah, I think, you know, I think at the heart of John Paul II's Theology of the Body, he, sh- he expresses and he displays how um, chastity is, an, is the ability to give ourselves as an authentic gift of self. And so mm-hmm. when I choose to, um, how do I live like Jesus? Well, Jesus gave himself on the cross yeah. and chastity is a gift of myself to another. And so just being able to live my life oriented towards self-gift where mm-hmm. um uh, my every day, my every moment, my uh, every choice is uh, to give to the other, which is really, really, there's no shortage in opportunities to do that in mm-hmm. marriage and family life, right? Like, yes. um, do not, you don't need to seek it out. It's there. Yeah, it's there. And, and it's really hard to seek out sometimes, you know, like even mm-hmm. uh, like today, get home from work and it's like, okay, what well, when you get home from work, what's your, I'm tired, I'm hungry, like, I don't mm-hmm. want to like play with the kids. And so like, those choices that you make um, are, are, are choices for um, authentic self-giving love or not. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, totally. And it's, it, it just kind of blew my mind. Cause I was, you know, I was thinking, I know you're called to chastity in the sense of, you know, you do not um, engage in any <laughs> relations with anyone other than your spouse, of course, but even with your spouse, those, those really small, small details that it's so easy to, to lose sight of, you know, when you've got your to-do list in front of your eyes and, and your needs aren't getting met and your spouse's needs aren't getting met. And so how do you, you know, how do you rise above yourself and um, become more than you are by, by noticing them and, and really starting to serve them, looking to serve them? Amen to that. Yeah. Yeah. And then also you expanded chastity to include, um, or a sin against chastity is, is contraception. So tell me more about that. Cause statistically we know that a lot of couples use, use contraception. So there's clearly, um, a lack of education or, or misunderstanding, um, surrounding that issue. Yeah. You know, I think one of the cool things about when you come home from your wedding and you hang the crucifix in your house, and then, you know, we talked about that practice of having our kids kiss the cross and pray every day. Jesus, I love you. Jesus, teach me how to love. So mm-hmm. as the kids are little, and right now my kids are really tiny, you know, and they're kissing the cross and they're praying mm-hmm. every night, Jesus, teach me how to love. Well, mm-hmm. when they get older and these conversations of chastity um, come about, how, we're just going to teach them about love. And, mm-hmm. and we're, we're going to sit them in front of the cross and we're going to say, look at Jesus on the cross. 
Jesus's love is self-giving and it's life-giving. Mm-hmm. That Jesus's love gave all of himself and it brought forth eternal life. And marital love is supposed to always be both self-giving and life-giving. And so mm-hmm. anytime marital love isn't self-giving, then it's not an authentic expression of marital love. Anytime uh, marital love isn't open to the possibility of being life-giving, then it's not authentic marital love. And so the act of contraception actually violates both of these, you know, it violates um, life-giving love in a very simple way, right? Because the word itself means against conception, you're against life. And, and so the word itself means it's against authentic life-giving love. You're, you're closed off to the openness to life. But then the, the other interesting thing is that it also violates authentic self-giving love because you're basically saying to your spouse, I, I give you all of myself except for my reproductive side or mm-hmm. your spouse. I want all of you except for your reproductive side, which is um, not only an insult, but it's also uh, it's not a complete self gift. You know, it's mm-hmm. like, I can't give all of myself. Jesus says, I give you a hundred percent without reserve. And so, I mean, that's my strategy with my kids is to, mm-hmm. to make it very simple. I'm not going to talk a lot of theology. I think yeah. even for, us as adults, like, let's not talk a bunch of theology. Marriage and, and human sexuality is about babies and bonding. Mm-hmm. It's about life-giving and self-giving love. And when the babies and the bonding aren't both there, um, it's a violation of God's original plan. Yeah, totally. And I'm going to throw another question in there because I've heard this, I've heard couples say this uh, before that like uh, natural family planning is just too hard. And what, what, what encouragement would you have to offer for, for the people who, uh, who feel that it might be too hard or that too much might be asked of them. Yeah, natural family planning is hard. Mm-hmm. Um, especially like, let's just be blunt, when you're breastfeeding, when things don't fall completely mm-hmm. in line, we will be the first to say that natural family planning can be hard. And I also am the first to tell mothers everywhere. I mean, I just think that there's there's pressure in two directions. There's pressure to have two perfect children and stop there. Mm-hmm. And on the other end, the pendulum swings the radical other direction to the point where the only way to be holy is to have 12 and to never count and to not practice natural family planning. And I just want to empower husbands and wives. Like God, the father wants to speak to you, right? No one is inside of your marriage. There's no one else who knows your mental health situation. There's no one who knows your financial situation. There's no one who knows your marriage communication situation. I think that natural family planning is a gift from the father. I think the female body, I know the female body and the intricacy with which it works is a beautiful, beautiful gift and how blessed we are to be able to understand it and to work with the father to truly discern if and when is the perfect time, not there's ever a perfect time, but when is a good time, right? When it is the father's mm-hmm. will to bring another human person into the world. I'm all about life. I love babies. I love mm. babies so much. I also love the father's will and I love talking to him and discerning with him. So a big thing for me with natural family planning is putting that that power in the couple's hands to say, hey, the father wants you to understand how your body works, to understand how family planning works and to give you the opportunity to commune with him in making mm. that choice. Um, but as far as is natural family planning difficult, like just yes. Like if you are struggling with figuring it out, 
Yeah, it's okay. You know, there's lots of different methods. Not every method works for everyone. Reach out, whether it's your diocese, whether it's a mom's network that you're a part of, um, a marriage encounter weekend, find someone. You're going to get a lot of people who don't know what they're talking about. But if you keep trying, you're going to find someone <laughs> to put you in contact with who you need to help you find the right method for you. The right method is out there. You can do it. You will not be outdone in generosity by the Father. And you will reap the benefits of a marriage that is both faithful and fruitful. Mm-hmm. Amen, sister. Hi there. I hope you are enjoying the episode so far. I wanted to interrupt you for just a minute to remind you that women ages 18 through 40 are invited to the SALT mission program, serving for a week alongside the Carmelite sisters for the aged and infirm. SALT missionaries are truly the salt of the earth. We design fun activities like giving manicures or having a happy hour that are so meaningful for those whom our society so often forgets. Our missionaries also report that one of their favorite parts is just spending time one-on-one with the residents and hearing their incredible stories. It's really another way to live out our pro-life beliefs by serving with salt. My life has been changed and every one of our missionaries' lives have been changed. If cost is an issue, you're going to be happy to know that SALT is totally free of charge. That's right, zero dollars. You just have to pay your travel and the sisters take care of the rest. I've invested so many hours of my life and my passion into this program, and I believe in its ability 100% to help you hear God's voice in your life and to grow in every relationship. Check out www.carmelitesisters.com salt dash program. And now back to the episode with the fabulous sassy Demites. Yeah. In fact, I talked more in depth with about this topic with Melanie Smith, who is yes. a good friend of yours, right? Yes. Yes. Awesome. We love the Smiths. Um, our son Giovanni just celebrated his first communion, and Chris Smith is actually the godfather of oh. our son Giovanni way back before he knew Melanie, but she is. She's phenomenal. Yeah, yeah. We talked about that. I think it was episode five, and yeah. it was such a great conversation. So, yeah, we'll leave um, chastity there, and mm-hmm. we'll take up – I mean, there's so much to talk about, but we'll, we'll look into poverty now. Yes. So – Everybody's favorite virtue of Jesus. Oh, yes, absolutely. <laughs> it is my favorite one. <laughs> it actually has become one of my favorites. But when Dan was writing this book and giving this idea, I was just kind of like, okay, that's going to be the one where people like close the book. Like mm. it's scary. The American dream is to be successful, right? Like no yes. one's like, I can't wait to grow up and embrace the evangelical poverty, the evangelical council of poverty, you mm-hmm. know? Right, right. Uh, Right, so good. <laughs> yeah, actually, let's start there because um, we have kind of this, on the one hand, we have this prosperity gospel yes. idea going around, right? Where like you, you, um, the more, uh, what is it? The, you are more uh, materially blessed the closer to God you are. Um, so we've got kind of that and that, or materially blessed is a weird way to put it, richer. The, yeah. the, the holier you are, the richer you are. And then we've also got kind of this, idea of poverty as destitution, you know, because that we think poverty, we think like the slums of, of, of India or whatever. Right. So what, what is conjugal poverty that you're talking about? And how does it differ from both of those? Yeah, you know, well, so Jesus is the richest um, uh, person in the entire universe. <laughs> and, <laughs> right. um, and so at the heart of the church's teaching and understanding of poverty, it's a volunteer poverty um, mm-hmm. that Jesus chose to leave the richness of heaven 
to enter into the poverty of uh, the incarnation where he mm-hmm. took on, you know, the poverty of a human flesh and the poverty of the, the manger. He was born to um, Mary and Joseph who were poor. And immediately after being born, they were exiled and they, they ran away to Egypt. And so they were foreigners in a foreign land and looking for work, you know, and like mm. Jesus grew up extremely poor and he chose to do that. It was freedom. And so what I, lo- I like to say when speaking about poverty is my prayer for every single person is that they are abundantly rich that god blesses them with insane abundance and wealth and like financial prosperity uh, because wealth and prosperity is not the problem it's what you do with it right and so wealth and prosperity is a great treasure and you know we want Catholics uh, and Christians to to be like incredible CEOs of companies and, mm-hmm. and game changers for this world and make a lot of money so that we can do a lot of good with that money. And so mm-hmm. poverty ultimately comes down to um, understanding it's a, it's a disposition of the heart where I understand that God is the provider of all things, that he has given me everything I have and I'm not the provider. And especially for us men, it's very important. I, uh, you know, I, I'm sick of going to men's conferences and hearing uh, people talk about men being the providers of their family. It's just not true. We're not the providers of our family. Like God is the provider of our family and mm-hmm. he provides all things and he gives and he takes away. And, um, and so I think this idea that we have this heart, this disposition of heart where I depend completely on God and I trust a hundred percent in him. And even when finances are tight and finances, you know, because I think a lot of families, the normal American family experiences difficulty around finances. And so um, it's that dependence on God that you will provide for our family and mm-hmm. you'll take care of me. And, um, and then because he's given everything, then you say, these aren't my dollars. These are kingdom dollars that God has given me this money to steward. So now I have to ask, how do I steward it? You know? And, mm-hmm. and I think when you start thinking of kingdom dollars, as opposed to my mm-hmm. dollars, everything starts shifting because you're like, well, I mean, sure, I could spend this money on this, but I could also spend this money on the poor or on the mission of the church. And um, for me, it's really become a matter of like, how much can I give? Because I'm, I'm hungry to, um, to bless others that haven't been blessed, you know? And so it's not how much do I have to give, but really, man, okay, I'm going to make sure I take care of my family but we're going we're gonna to supply for our need, not for our greed. And then we're going to give away. Mm-hmm. Beautiful. I love it. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to dive deeper a little bit into one aspect of what you were saying about detachment, kind of this mm-hmm. attitude of, of detachment. Like, how do you know that you are actually detached from your things? Because like, I can think I'm detached and then run off to, um, you know, DSW and buy myself all these pairs of shoes or whatever and be like, but I'm detached. It's okay. I don't need those. I just bought them for fun. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Yes. Mm-hmm. How do we yeah, really yeah. know? I think gospel poverty is more than mere detachment. Um, mm, okay. The gospel poverty. So there is a, the first layer of gospel poverty is that I must be detached from all earthly things. Right. And that's, mm-hmm. that's a challenging um, aspect of my heart. It really, and, and that's, mm-hmm. it's a difficult challenge. But it's even God calls us to even more than that, where He's yeah. actually He's asking us to live to live a sparing, sharing lifestyle. And yeah. so, it's not that I own everything, but I'm detached from it. It's that I actually live a lifestyle that is sparing and simple, and that yeah. is focused on giving. And so, 
Um, so it, it is this interesting challenge where we say, you know, if you just look at the gospel, if you have one cloak, yeah. give the other one away. And so um, John the Baptist doesn't say, hey, if you if you have two cloaks, like just make sure you're not attached to both of them. You know, like mm-hmm. he's saying like, no, you're, you're not supposed to have an abundance. Like you're supposed to care for yourself and then care for those around you as well. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. I think because, you know, the world is, um, it's getting harder and harder to live on a middle-class income. It, it just, um, the money you take in, it seems like it all goes out all, you know, it, it, right away sometimes. And, and I yeah. think there is a lot of anxiety and fear kind of like you mentioned around finances. Um, and, I, I love that you talk so much about about trust, trusting in God, and looking to Him as the provider of your family. So, how do you, um, how do you get there? How do you lead a surrendered life? Like, what have what have you guys done to to get to that point of of trusting in God in a real material way, so that you're not just writing checks and thinking, okay, you know, there goes my um, any possibility of like taking my wife on nice dates for the next year or so, you know what I mean? Like, how do you get rid of that anxiety and actually just live in surrender? Well, that anxiety that you're talking about is real, very real, Uh Stacey. And I think it's so important to mention that the number one cause for divorce in the United States is disagreements over finances. Wow. So coming into agreement with your spouse and making a budget plan. We love Dave Ramsey. We read his books in the beginning of our marriage. I came in with a lot of debt from the Franciscan University of Steubenville. (laughs) I loved so much. Um, Dan worked his way through college and paid every bit of it off. And I worked those student loans for everything I could. Um, So we had to learn very um, at the start of our relationship how to choose simple, how to live on a budget. Um, and additionally, it was in those early years of our marriage that we decided not to hold back on tithing until we got out of debt. We made the choice to begin tithing immediately just to instill that trust in the Lord right from the get-go. So I think tithing is a huge way that you can uh, make a surrender to the Father, that you're going to trust in Him um, to to bless your finances and to provide for you, just knowing that all that you have comes from him and giving it right back to him. Um, Costs like stretch you too far or buy a simpler house, you know, like you don't need to keep up with the Jones, like use your finances, not for your earthly comfort kingdom, but for God's kingdom. Mm, I love that. Great. We have to move on for the sake of time, but I, I feel like we could linger here forever. I, we have to move on to obedience. Um, so you go on to the, the virtue of Jesus living in an obedient way. And when I think obedience, immediately what comes to mind is St. Paul saying, wives, be obedient to your husbands, which is <laughs> something that I know a lot of women hate. And it's, of course, you know, that's just one small part of the, of the phrase. But um, I think you even said in your book that you thought, or sorry, you got a lot of pushback of, of people thinking that it's going to lead to domineering husbands and abusive relationships if you're really talking about obedience. So how does conjugal obedience differ from that? Yeah, so um, in that verse when St. Paul calls wives to be submissive to their husbands, I think it's really important to understand what the word submissive means. And Dan taught me this, um, mm-hmm. to be under the mission. So submission, mm-hmm. right? So we're called to be under the mission of our lover, right? Like lover and beloved. So my husband, thanks be to God, 
his mission, if you continue reading what St. Paul said, his mission is actually my holiness, right? Husbands, love your wives as Jesus loved the church to lay your life down for her. I see my husband lay his life down for me every day. I, I know that I am blessed beyond measure that truly with my own eyes and my heart, I see him do that every day. It is not, it's not always easy, but it's not super difficult to be under the same mission of Dan because I see him laying his life down for my family. It's not super easy all the time to trust him. There's stories in the book about um, me trusting him in the areas of poverty, in the areas of chastity, right? In these areas of obedience. Um, And that's when, right? Sometimes when it's hard to be under the mission of Dan, I got to go right under that mission of Jesus and say, Jesus, like, you need to help me. But again, it's not just me being obedient to Dan, but our book points out the call to mutual obedience, right? Mm-hmm. You and I are equally obedient to one another. Mm-hmm. Yeah, my favorite is the, the Latin word um, for obedience. It comes from, the word obedience comes from the Latin word that means to listen or to hear. Yeah. And so authentic obedience is hearing the other. And um, so obedience to your spouse simply means listening to your spouse. And, um, and I think, uh, the way John Paul II described this is he said, it's making your spouse's eye, your eye. So Mm -hmm. you anticipate their desires. And so when I'm anticipating, um, my spouse's desires, I'm being obedient to them. It's not, Mm -hmm. and, and the best form of conjugal obedience, the best form of marriage, marriage obedience isn't when Amber tells me to do something and I do it. It's when I anticipate her desire and I do mm-hmm. it. And so it's a matter of reading your spouse's hearts, your spouse's desires before they express them and then being at service to their desires as opposed to your own desires. And mm-hmm. um, and that's really challenging, you know, because mm-hmm. it means you're not... I want to listen to my own desires. Yeah. Like, <laughs> I want to do what I want to do. And yeah. you're so selfish. You usually don't take time to think about the other person. You know, you're like in your own head, you're in your own world, you're in your own yeah. mind. And you're not thinking like, mm-hmm. oh, in this moment, you know, like every night, just something simple that Amber... <laughs> you're about yeah. No, no, no. Yeah. I'm, I'm talking water. about uh, <laughs> so every, every night I have to get Amber a glass of water yeah, before bed. And... Uh, <laughs> And if I don't get this glass of water, it's like, oh my goodness, did I, I, I like broke one of our marriage vows. And, uh, <laughs> uh, and it's, it's not a big deal, right? But it's just a, a simple sign of obedience where I know Amber desires to have something to drink by her, uh, mm-hmm. her bedside at night. And so I'm going to fulfill that desire. Mm-hmm. And about nine out of 10 nights, I have no desire to get up and get water before we head to bed. You know, like that's <laughs> right. like, the word, and so, so it's a great act of love because my desire says absolutely not, but her desire says yes. So I become obedient to her desire, which is exactly what Jesus did in the garden. His desire was, uh, I don't want to die, but <laughs> Father, as you will, not as I will. And, mm-hmm. and so his perfect obedience. And so I just compared myself to Jesus because I get water at night and Jesus suffered and died on the cross. <laughs> <laughs> but you know what? Doing that for 10 years every night, that's, or I don't, how long have you been married again? Uh, yeah. 11. Oh, 11 years. 11 years. Yeah. 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 Doing that every night, 365 times, times 11. That's, you know, that's not a small, it's a small thing, but it's not a small thing. You know what I mean? 
Yeah, yes. there's that one night I was angry at her and I spit in the water. Does Shut that count? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> is it, the question is, is it hot water? <laughs> it's no. not. No. I, I prefer my water cold. <laughs> okay, yeah. <laughs> try that after this hot water um that that's beautiful that's amazing um one thing that that i really appreciate just going back to this water thing a little bit is my husband actually he's lying in bed usually and i get up with the baby yes. she still nurses a little bit at night and then every time i come back to to bed he he himself has a glass of water by the bed but he knows i've just been nursing her so i'm probably thirsty and he always wakes himself up and says would you like a, a drink of water Aww. and he'll actually get up and get it for me even though he doesn't have to so it's it's those little things um and i just always like yeah it just always like um makes me so grateful that like i it, it, it makes me feel like my sacrifice of getting up with my daughter was like seen, you know, yes. it, it's, it's beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. So, so with regard to obedience, so this is listening, right. Mm-hmm. Um, and <laughs> listening to God obviously is a huge part of this, not just your spouse. Um, and that involves praying in silence and silence is just not a thing that really happens in households with children. Mm-hmm. So how have you two managed to carve out time to listen to God's voice? Yeah. Um, Stacy, and and this is not possible at all stages. Certainly, when you have a, a nursing infant, my baby actually turned five today. Um, and happy my, birthday! Happy birthday to Liliana! <laughs> um, but my the time that is best for me to pray is the start of the day. So I set my alarm to get up before any of the kids, before I have to get them up for schooling or anything else. And I always like to say that. I need time for the father to remind me who I am before I have to get going with loving everyone else, right? Like I need the father to fill my cup so that I can pour everything else out. Now I'm a morning person, but on the other hand, Dan is an evening person. So a few times a week, he will go out to adoration or he, he tends to like to take his prayer time in the evening, whether he's mm-hmm. reading or going to adoration. I think we need to know ourselves. And just like we give those first fruits of our financial blessings to the Father, we want to give our first and best fruits of our time to the Father. And mm-hmm. knowing you know knowing that in married life, there are ups and downs with baby sleeping and all those things. But the Father sees our effort, right? He sees our hearts. So what is that best, most prime time, that best gift that you can give to Him? When we give that gift of our time to him again he's never outdone in kindness and we are full to the brim for the sacrifice and the outpouring that it takes to live the vocation of marriage and family life mm-hmm. yeah my favorite thing is not um because houses are so loud with kids and everything um mm-hmm. i'm in the car a lot with work and so um my car has become like my perpetual adoration chapel <laughs> it's, <laughs> a, it's it's forever silent and there is like you know it's not listening to music or anything like that but just actually um having the silence um during that time and this i just think finding the silence when you can get it is yeah. really important and so if um you know when you're raising kids if uh if your plan is that hey I need to somehow carve out an hour every day for a holy hour. You're going to be probably sadly let down when that's impossible to fulfill. But if you, if you find those moments that you can um, seek the Lord out, it's not about, uh, I mean, it is about quantity. Like you have to give the Lord time, but it's more so about quantity. Like, am I pursuing him and seeking him, you know, and like Mm. um, really um, going after that quality with him. Yes. Amen to that. Beautiful. So you guys talk about a family rule of life. Brilliant. 
Brilliant idea. What is it? So, you know, like how um, uh, religious orders have charisms, right? They, these are gifts given to them by the Holy Spirit, usually to the founder that um, express the way in which they live out these, these evangelical councils. So your idea is similar, this family rule of life. So what is it and, um, and what does it look like? You know, I think it's, it depends on who you are and how you want to implement it. Um, mm-hmm. Like, I think part of the rule of life is just like having routine. And, and so like we have routines and how we do bedtime and how we do prayer time as a family. We have routines about how often we're going to eat together as a family. And so like we have a routine on, on how many like sports we'll let the kids play or, and so it, it it's this way of life that you're striving to live as a family and, and then safeguarding that way of life. So mm-hmm. for, for us, like family meals is part of our way of life and we safeguard that, right? Like um, mm-hmm. for us uh, protecting um, quality time together as a family, not getting over scheduled is really important. So we protect mm-hmm. that. And so having these like disciplines and these habits that you protect as a family and choosing to live your life as opposed to allowing your life to live you is mm-hmm. so important. And so mm-hmm. as husband and wife, you don't have to do what everyone else is doing. Actually, yeah. you really shouldn't do what everyone else is doing. Cause Jesus says okay. that wide is the road and, and broad is the path that leads to destruction, but narrow is the way that leads to life. And so mm-hmm. if, my life of marriages are ending in divorce. <laughs> yeah. So if yeah. we look like everyone else, then chances are we're on the wide path that leads to destruction. Yeah. So our life should look a little different as, as Christians and as Catholics. And so, uh, you know, just setting up rules like for yourself that you're going to live by. And, um, you know, then that's very simple. Like, mo- like we're going to go to mass every Sunday, right. Or, and we're going to pray every evening. We're going to, and then what are we going to do for our prayer and stuff like that? So yeah. I know some couples and, we go through periods of our life where we're a little more strict with our rule where you'll write it down and you have more mm. uh, like daily order and daily systems. And, uh, and I think that's awesome. And there's time periods for that. And um, the more order you put in your life, usually the better your life's going to be. Mm. I think a lot of people don't like the word rule. A more popular term that means the same thing is intentionality, mm-hmm. right? Yes. So intentionally have laid out what we want our family lifestyle to look like, our family way of life. And it's kind of cool with our children getting older now, just seeing the way that they have come and they've become dependent on and comfortable in our way of life, the way they notice when, like our Sophia, now that she's involved in lots of different activities with ballet and lacrosse, um, there have been, there's once a week where she does not get to eat dinner with the family. And when she sits down to eat her little dinner before everyone else, she is very firm that I must sit down with her. Aww. Like He knows that, fa- that in our home, eating is about community, that that's a special time that we share together. Um, Our son knows that our ministry as a family is about turning souls to Jesus, right? He -hmm. wrote a little book in school the other day. He's the one that's not homeschooled. And he brought home his little book that he wrote and bless his little heart. His book is called The Devil That Became an Angel. And it's about the conversion of the devil. (laughs) His theology's so little off. His theology's off completely. But listen, this kid wants everyone, and I mean everyone. (laughs) to oh. come to Jesus. <laughs> oh, that's Whoa, okay. Like they are seeing, they oh. are tasting, they are breathing in this way of life. And Stacy, it is not perfect in the Dimite house. You know, we got some Italian tempers. We got a lazy streak. Our Things kids are, are crazy. Not, our kids are <laughs> yeah, they're not, they're, lunatics. Yeah. But 
Yeah. But they like to eat dinner together and they want to as <laughs> Let's just say our rule of life is not all that similar to the Carmelites. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. As a family, what is important to you? Who are you? No one's asking you to look like yeah. any other family. Mm-hmm. It's not black and white. But how are you going to live holiness? How are you going to create a domestic church? Well, mm-hmm. and my favorite is now the kids are getting older. They're pushing back a little bit mm-hmm. like, oh, well, so-and-so does this. And it's so easy just to say, well, that's not what we do in the Demite family. And yeah. That, yeah. That, that, that works for them. Like, it, it's funny. It's like, oh, we, okay. we have a family and we have a way yeah. of life. And yeah, of course, there's people that do it this way. Mm-hmm. And that's their free choice to have that way of life. But that's not going to be ours. And mm-hmm. um and, you know, I think there, there will be kids um, and there, you know, there are kids who rebel against the family's way of life, you know, and our kids are, mm-hmm. aren't at that age yet of rebellion. They're still y- too young to be there, but I'm sure we'll deal with that. And, and uh, what I have found is I watch other, like, because Amber and I've been in youth ministry for over 15 years, as I watch other families raise their children when they have a, a way of life um, and they stick to it and, and they, but they stick to it with love um, the kids always come around to it. It's when you have a way of life and you stick to it as the law, then, then that's when they, they rebel and they leave. And, mm-hmm. and so remember, it's never about the law. Jesus came to set us free from the law. It's about, it's about freedom. It's about life. It's about love. And so we're living the new law of love, not the old law. And so there, when there's order in your family, if it's order for the sake of making sure that other people think your family's holy and perfect and you don't want to like, oh, being a, everybody knows. We yeah. Holy. Yeah. Like I don't want to be an embarrassment at the church. Like you could just do that. And like, yeah. and like, I remember I was talking to, um, a kid who had left the church and I asked him why he was in my youth group and he ended up leaving the church and he was really angry. And I asked him why. And he said, you know, my mom and dad just put on a huge show that wow. they come to church and they act like our family's perfect. <laughs> but when we go home, our family is broken and we yell at each other and we mm-hmm. were angry at each other and it's not perfect. And, uh, it, it just kind of said in my heart that like, as a parent, I know I'm going to make a million mistakes. The key is to say, I'm sorry that like you go to your children after you yell and you say, you know what? I really screwed up. Dad's not perfect. And I'm sorry. Do you forgive me? Because, um, we're trying to be holy and, uh, it's important to teach your kids that we have a mentality that, Hey, we're not perfect. We're, we're just like you. Like we're little kids of God, the father that are still rebellious and are struggling to, to work our salvation out with fear and trembling. Yes. Wow. Thank you for saying all of that. I know it makes me feel so much better in so many ways about how my kids are lunatics too. And I love, I just love everything you said. In fact, I just found out that about this, um, the saint named Francis of Rome is her name, R-A-N-C-E-S. Mm. And she really struggled. She had a lot of children. And um, my mom just sent me an article about her. She's like, you should definitely talk about this on your podcast because she really wow. struggled not being able to do her perfect prayer routine, but yeah. instead having to take care of her family. And I know everyone can who has a, a, a vibrant faith life and really wants to spend time um, you know, praying and uh, wants to do their holy hour every day and wants it to be perfect. 
Um, yeah. You're not going to be able to do that with family life. Um, but I love that that for St. Francis of Rome, she kind of, she found her her way through what you're talking about with this, this family rule of life where the work is itself, the, the work of your vocation is itself pleasing to God. It is, yeah. it is the rhythm of your family. It is, it is leading you towards holiness and sanctification. And I, I just want to leave to that point. I just want to leave us with, um, with this quote from your book, which just got me right in the heart. He said, it's not enough to volunteer at church and perform service in his name. What is more important is that we do the will of the father. It's not just important that we do things for him, but that we do what he asks us to do. Yes. Yeah. So a little right there. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. <laughs> yep. I love I it love so him. much. I love him. Yes. I love it. That was just beautiful. Thank you for all of that. So what are your favorite ways for people to find you and connect with you and buy your book? Yeah, I mean, we're, we're pretty um, simple. So we don't have a website or anything. Our book is on Amazon. It's uh, Three Secrets to Holiness and Marriage, mm-hmm. or you can get it at uh, Ave Maria Press. And um, the we are, our main passion is our ministry. So we run a lay apostolate called Damascus Catholic Mission Campus. The website's damascuscampus.com. And it's a beautiful ministry. We serve 10,000 young people a year, 4,000 wow. kids. Um, at a high adventure Catholic summer camp called Catholic Youth Summer Camp, and another six thousand kids during the academic school year, we do uh, three day retreats, three day long retreats for um, kids all year long. So we have a community of young adult missionaries, and our missionaries, Amber and I, basically like our our role is really caring for and loving the missionaries, and the missionaries implement these uh, these retreats and summer camps. And so if you're like, oh, what do I do with my kids? If you have a middle schooler, fifth grade through, um, or anyone in high school, so fifth grade through 12th grade, we run high adventure uh, summer camps for the kids. We do high adventure sports like paintballs, zip lines, wakeboarding, high ropes, rock climbing, but then it leads to a high adventure faith. And so we do daily mass, Eucharistic adoration, uh, charismatic worship, and just a really powerful encounter with Jesus Christ that changes kids' lives and launches them into a life of mission and discipleship. And uh, so you can find out about our summer camp at uh, catholicyouthsummercamp.com, cysc.com, cysc.com. Can I come? Uh, yeah, <laughs> when, when, your, when, when your kids get a little older. <laughs> yes, I'm there. Yes, you can come and stay at our house, Stacey. We'll have oh my gosh, that w- kids do all the activities. Yeah. That sounds amazing. Well, my my two year old walked when he was six months old, and he's, oh! yeah, he already jumps halfway down the stairs. Nice. Yeah, he's ready. Okay, he's good. ready. I'll put him in a sophomore small group at camp. Perfect. Okay. Yes. He's going to be a pain at adoration and Mm. daily mass, but he's going to love the sports. Wow. That sounds so great. Um, I really, I want to tell everybody I know about that for sure. Well, thank you so much. Is there anything else you want to share? I mean, you, we've talked about so much. I feel like my head is spinning and I can't even really, um, I can't even really like contain it all right now, but I can't wait to put this interview out there to the world. So thank you for for everything. It's, um, it's going to be amazing to, to yeah. put this out there. We're so grateful that we got the chance to be with you tonight, Stacy. Mm. You're such a blessing to this community that you're serving through your podcast and all the work that you do. You're radiant and full of joy. And we're oh. so honored to, to chat with you tonight. You know, Stacy, the, um, 
Jesus didn't just ask us to follow him. He asked us to, to um, be fishers of men as well. So mm-hmm. if God's been like convicting your heart during the show, listeners, I just want to encourage you. Um, if you're going to purchase the book, then I want you to find other couples to ask to go on the journey with you. And so yeah. possibly um, go ahead and get five couples together and maybe meet once a week for five weeks and go through the book together as a journey and share about how it is for, for the spouses and, and God can do a powerful work um, through your mission of ministering to other married couples. Mm-hmm. Amen to that. Yes. Great invitation. Do it, do it, everybody. <laughs> and with that, I will leave you uh, thank you and God bless your family and your ministry. Do you see what I mean about the couple crush thing? Oh my gosh. What a wonderful episode. I hope you enjoyed listening to it as much as I enjoyed talking with Dan and Amber. And if you did enjoy it, please, please do come on over to iTunes. Leave me a review. Every little bit helps. Tell your friends. I mean, it would just be so wonderful if you know someone who you think could use this episode or any of the episodes of Called and Caffeinated. And I would just so appreciate if you could help be a channel of God's grace to these people and pass the episode along. Thank you so much. Now we are going to do a little song reflection because I just love traditional church music. So here we go. This is Adoro Te Devote, which is a hymn of St. Thomas Aquinas, old school. And um, you may recognize this this tune right here, but I'll, I'll just read you the words because they're incredible. Devoutly I adore thee, hidden Godhead, who truly stayest hidden under these forms. To thee doth my whole heart subject itself, because in contemplating thee, everything else is found lacking. Jesus, whom now I behold under a veil, I pray that for which I so thirst may come to pass, that, looking intently upon thy unveiled face, I may be blessed with the sight of thy glory. Adoro te devote latens deitas, que subis figuris vere latitas, tibis ecor meum totum subgisit, qui Contemplans totum deficit, Jesu quem velatum nunc aspicio, oro fiat ilud quotam sitio, Ooh.